Skinwalkers have become one of the most feared creatures in all of folklore, but they are seriously misunderstood. If you spend a lot of time looking at creepy things on the internet, then I guarantee you've heard the term skinwalker thrown around a few times. You might have read creepypastas where people encountered them in the woods and barely escaped with their lives, or seen shaky, pixelated footage of skinwalker sightings, but these representations of the legendary cryptid have strayed far away from their roots in Navajo folklore. A skinwalker, known by the Navajo as Yi Naudlushi, is an evil witch that's chosen to forsake the values and morals of the society he or she resides in favor of a wicked, depraved lifestyle. A skinwalker's primary purpose is to spread chaos and invert the social order, using their powerful magic for nefarious purposes, like spreading disease and disrupting the most sacred Navajo rituals. They are despised as well as feared, so today we're uncovering their very messed up origins and listening to some folktales shared by the Navajo people. Let's get lost in some lore. There are a lot of misunderstandings surrounding skinwalkers thanks to Hollywood reducing them to Native American werewolves and the internet taking this misrepresentation and running with it. Another huge contributing factor is the Navajo people's reluctance to discuss skinwalkers at all, let alone with outsiders, as many believe that discussing them attracts their attention. It's absolutely their right to do that, but when curious outsiders can't get answers, they're naturally gonna make up their own. With that being said, we here at Messed Up Origins want you to feel that you can trust us to not spread more misinformation. So our resident historian, Meredith Walker, used the closest thing to first-hand accounts that are available during her research. Anthropologist Clyde Cluckhone, folklorist Bear Token, and writer Margaret K. Brady all spent a considerable amount of time with Navajo people learning their traditions and customs and wrote about some of these skinwalker stories they were told by adults and children. So we'll be using their books as our primary resources. So first and foremost, skinwalkers are not lichens, manchitas, or any other kind of human-animal hybrid. They are Native American magic users who have committed themselves to the ways of chaos. They represent the antithesis, the exact opposite of Navajo cultural values. While community healers were known as medicine men and women, or by other positive terms in their respective indigenous language, witches were seen as evil. They conducted harmful ceremonies and manipulative magic as a corruption of the good work that medicine people traditionally performed. They had the knowledge and ability to do good, but deliberately chose the opposite engaging in taboo behaviors like murder, cannibalism, incest, and the desecration of anything that Navajo society held sacred. According to anthropologist Clyde Cluckhone, in order to become a skinwalker, you had to know a skinwalker, and to be accepted into the secret society, you must willingly commit the most evil act of all, the murder of a close family member usually a sibling. Your initiation ceremony would take place in a cave at night, like all skinwalker ceremonies. Participants would sit in a circle surrounded by piles or baskets of corpse flesh and rows of human heads, and they were completely naked except for the masks and jewelry they wore, and their bodies were painted in ceremonial fashion. For the next few hours, they would chant ritual songs backwards, make sand paintings, despite the Navajo considering that a strictly daytime activity, engage in cannibalism and necrophilia, and would even urinate and defecate on sacred Navajo symbols. While Navajo rituals were performed to maintain health, order, and harmony with nature, a quality they know as hojo, the skinwalker ceremonies were chaos manifest. By acting in a way that directly opposed nature, they created imbalances and unleashed evil into the community with the hope of causing social unrest, 
illness, and death. This is how skinwalkers gained their power. They grew stronger, healthier, and richer by making others weak, sick, and poor. Medicine men had the power to suppress this evil and some of its symptoms, but depending on how deeply rooted the imbalances are, they might not be able to cure it entirely which is what makes skinwalkers so dangerous. This initiation process also granted new powers to the skinwalker, allowing them to perform certain kinds of dark magic on their own and even transform themselves into a number of different animals. This is where the aforementioned confusion with werewolves comes into play, so I want to be very clear about how skinwalkers are different. The fundamental difference between the two is that werewolves are, more often than not, portrayed as victims of their condition, while skinwalkers volunteer for it and and have control over it. There are, of course, exceptions to that rule because werewolf folklore has evolved considerably over the centuries. You can check out my episode on them if you want to learn more about that, but that's true the majority of the time. Skinwalkers can choose to anamorph into coyotes, wolves, foxes, cougars, dogs, owls, crows, and bears by wearing the skin of said animals hence their name. They can walk in many different skins. This also applies to the Navajo term for skinwalkers, yi naudlushi, which translates to something like, by means of it, it goes on all fours. Another important distinction from werewolves is that skinwalkers don't usually attack people in their animal forms. Their main reasons for anamorphing are to traverse land more effectively, be that quickly or quietly, and to disguise themselves. It's a lot easier to sneak into someone's house or stalk them when you're a slinky little fox as opposed to someone from their community that they'd recognize. Instead of attacking you directly while disguised as a bear, their methods were lower key, like shooting bad medicine darts at victims or placing curses on them using magic. And those curses could range from causing insanity to making you more accident prone. I'm not going to say they never attacked people in their animal form, but modern representations of them make it seem like that's exclusively what they do, when the reality is they were far more subtle. So now that you know what skinwalkers are, and just as importantly, what they're not, I say we dive into some skinwalker stories. First though, while I may not be able to tell you how to keep yourself safe from skinwalkers, I can show you how to keep your private information safe online with today's sponsor, NordVPN. As time goes on, the internet continues to become less predictable and more dangerous. But thanks to NordVPN, you can protect yourself online with a single click because they hooked us up with a limited time deal at nordvpn.com slash johnsolo. For those who don't know, VPNs are one of our best tools for keeping our private information safe from hidden threats whenever we access the internet. Data like passwords and credit card numbers, which could be devastating for hackers to get a hold of, are protected under lock and key. And you might might be thinking, yeah, that's great, John, but when is my data actually at risk of being stolen? The unfortunate truth is literally all the time. You could connect to public Wi-Fi like at an airport or cafe without realizing it's a fake network designed to harvest any sensitive data you enter. You could click a link in a Discord server only to find you just opened your castle gates to a DDoS attack that'll slow your device down to a crawl. But NordVPN guards you against these threats and more by encrypting everything you do online in hiding your IP address so hackers don't know where to send the attack. So if you want to be safer online, go to nordvpn.com slash johnsolo. Users receive a huge discount when you buy a two-year plan and even get four additional months. Again, that's nordvpn.com slash johnsolo.
All right, I've got a solid variety of stories to cover today, each one offering a different perspective on how these legends develop in Navajo society. From adult Navajo who had to live alongside supposed skinwalkers to Navajo children, who often make skinwalkers the culprit of their scary stories. Our first tale can be found in a book called Along Navajo Trails, Recollections of a Trader, 1898 to 1948. That trader was named Will Evans, and during his time living in New Mexico, he put an unusual amount of effort into preserving what he learned from his Navajo customers and friends, including stories, superstitions, and religious practices as he understood them. One such story came from a customer who Evans refers to as Tallman, Man. He mentions a peculiar neighbor from his childhood named Many Goats Uncle. According to Tall Man, his whole neighborhood suspected Many Goats Uncle of being a skinwalker, so they avoided him at all costs. Trades were kept to a minimum, and he was excluded from community rituals. It should be mentioned that no one had any proof of his skinwalker ways. It was all secondhand stories and hearsay, but whenever a tragic event occurred, he was blamed. Someone would get sick, seemingly out of nowhere, and the medicine man's methods would fail to fight the illness. Elixirs, sand paintings, herbs, chants, they were all useless, and so the medicine man would say, well, Many Goat's uncle must have thrown one of his bad medicine darts. Then, they'd cut the skin of the patient to suck out the bad medicine. As time went on, the community's fear of Many Goat's uncle grew, and at one point, rumors circulated that he had taken the form of a coyote, dug up the grave of a recently deceased infant, and devoured its body. Then, he supposedly used that baby's hair, clothes, and bones to make the bad medicine he placed in his darts. So whenever a coyote howled at night, the young people would cower and hide, while the older folks would say, there goes many goats uncle, I wonder whose baby he'll get tonight. And to those wondering, why wouldn't they just kill this guy if he was so evil? The main reason was out of fear. To threaten a skinwalker's life could make him desperate, and who knew what kinds of magic he could produce to save his own skin? So instead of attacking him directly, they try to create good medicines that were strong enough to combat his. Besides, according to Tall Man, the Storm God saved the people the trouble of killing him anyway. One day, Many Goat's uncle was riding cross-country, and when he passed through a gully, a black storm cloud formed over his head, and a bolt of lightning struck him off his horse. Then, a torrent of rain poured from the sky and washed his body deeper into the gully where it was buried with mud and trash. Was this the God's way of punishing him for being an arbiter of chaos, or just an unlucky coincidence? The Navajo themselves couldn't say for sure, but they were grateful that they no longer had to fear the mysterious skinwalker. Our next story is a bit more gruesome than that one. Actually, a lot more gruesome. It comes from a book called Some Kinds of Power by Margaret K. Brady, who collected skinwalker stories directly from Navajo children. You'll notice that this one unfolds quite a bit differently than the last one. Instead of being a tale about a real-life man who was accused of being a skinwalker and how his community treated him, this one is closer to a ghost story or a folk tale with a lesson to learn at the end. It follows a family of five, a father, a mother, a daughter, a son, and a baby boy. The family lived in a little house way out in the Utah boonies, so whenever they needed supplies like food, blankets, etc., they would have to ride out to the trading post, which was roughly a half day's journey. According to our young storyteller, the parents and daughter headed out for one of these trading post runs just like they had countless times before 
and they left their son, who we'll call Ushki, to take care of the baby. Maybe not the wisest decision, but the baby was a year old, so not a complete newborn, and Ushki had proven that he could be trusted watching over him for a little while. Plus, he invited a friend over to help. And to give credit where it's due, their babysitting gig started very smoothly almost boring. The baby did get fussy here and there, but after some food and a little bit of playtime, Ushki successfully put him to sleep and everything stayed copacetic until the sun set. While the boys were alone and the baby was sleeping, they heard some scratching at the window, but when they looked outside, they didn't see anything. Then they heard a knock at the door, but when they opened it up, no one was there. So they locked it and went back to their business. The boys were a little weirded out at this point, but as the minutes rolled by and everything went silent again, they started to calm down when suddenly they heard pounding at the door. Someone wasn't knocking to see if anyone was home. They were attacking the door, trying to break it down. In a panic, the friend opened the back window and climbed onto the roof of the house, but Ushki was too afraid to leave. He crawled under the bed and closed his eyes tight, waiting for this nightmare to end. The pounding at the door was relentless, and so was the baby's crying. In his panic, Ushki had forgotten him on the bed, and now he was too paralyzed with fear to step out and rescue him. Just when Ushki thought these nightmarish noises couldn't get any more deafening, they stopped all at once. But even still, he didn't move a muscle. Ushki stayed hidden under the bed for what felt like hours until the dead silence was broken by more knocking at the door. But this time, it was gentle and he heard his father's voice on the other side asking to be let in. Unsure if this was some kind of black magic fuckery, Ushki hesitantly crept up to the door and pressed his ear to it. When he heard the voices of his mom and sister, he finally felt safe unlocking it. But this nightmare had only just begun. Because the moment that Ushki's father stepped inside, he let out a blood-curdling scream. And when Ushki turned around to see what had scared his dad so much, he saw his baby brother lying on the bed a puddle of blood with his head missing. Ushki's father demanded answers, but his son didn't know how to explain it. He told his family about the pounding at the door, but insisted that he never heard anyone enter the house. Upon hearing this, his dad stepped outside to investigate and spotted a blood trail leading away from their property. At this point, the father, who we'll call Hastine, went to town and gathered some friends to do some skinwalker hunting. But even for Navajo, this was not an easy trail to track. Eventually, the blood all but disappeared, and they were forced to follow footprints, which somehow appeared to transform. At first, they looked like human footprints, but half a mile in, they were seemingly turned into wolf tracks. Then, another few miles on, they disappeared entirely. Lucky for Estine, there was only one house within sight of the track, so he and his buddies figured that had to be where the person who murdered his son was hiding but when they knocked on the door, they were surprised by who was on the other side. They had been expecting to see a crazed looking man covered in blood, animal pelts, and bones, but instead they were warmly greeted by an elderly couple who hadn't seen anything suspicious that day. Even still, a baby's life had been taken and the father wanted justice. So to be sure that the perpetrator wasn't hiding somewhere on the property, he asked the couple if he and his friends could take a look around and they obliged. They did a sweep around the outside, which turned up absolutely nothing. Then they entered the house, and it was here they found their answers. One of Hastine's friends took notice of an old tattered rug, and when he lifted it up, he found a cellar door hiding underneath. Hastine cautiously approached the cellar door, opened it up, and climbed down the steps while his friends waited up top with the old couple. The cellar was freezing cold and pitch black, so Hastine couldn't see anything. 
but after his eyes adjusted to the dim light, he noticed a figure standing in the corner. He called out, demanding they identify themselves, but they gave no answer. And as the room continued to brighten up, he saw it. On every wall of the cellar were shelves filled with decomposing human heads. And the two freshest heads that sat directly over the figure's shoulder belonged to his infant son and Ushki's friend. When Esteen recognized them, he immediately shot at the figure, but his bullets had seemingly no effect. Then, right before his eyes, the figure began melting. Or at least, that's how it appeared. He shrunk down to a fraction of his normal size, taking the form of a fox, and then he darted up the cellar stairs and out the front door. No one had gotten a good look at his face, and the old couple refused to reveal what they knew, either out of fear of retaliation from the skinwalkers or because they were skinwalkers themselves. Either way, the basement of body parts was enough for Esteen and his friends to find the couple guilty of that night's crime, so they shot them dead and made their way back to town. Not exactly what I would call a happily ever after, but believe it or not, this disturbing story does serve a purpose beyond Spookinya. Spookinya is definitely part of it, but it's for good reason, so you can learn from the characters. Little kids hearing the story will remember that Ushki allowed his baby brother to get killed when he left him behind while he crawled under the bed and hopefully they'll learn not to make the same mistake. But adults can learn some things too, like not to leave your kids unattended for extended periods of time if you can help it, because the world is unpredictable and you never know when your kids will find themselves in a dangerous situation they don't know how to handle. You can basically think of the skinwalker as filling the role of the big bad wolf in Little Red Riding Hood but I swear, they're not werewolves. Apart from their animalistic similarities, both are a metaphor for the evils that one can encounter in this world, and the other characters teach us how to respond to that evil, or in the case of Ushki and Little Red, how not to respond. And one factor that makes Skinwalkers and the Big Bad Wolf such powerful teaching tools is they exist in the real world. There are predators like the Big Bad Wolf who are patiently waiting for you to let your guard down so they can strike when you least expect it. Then there's the Skinwalkers, anarchists who want to rip the fabric of society apart at the seams. Some of them do it for their own personal gain, but others do it solely out of hatred. Hatred for who they are, how they're treated, and how the world operates. So they act out by literally shitting on anything society holds sacred in the hopes that will somehow bring it all crashing down. Whether or not their evil magic actually worked is a matter of belief, but their existence is a fact. And even though there are fewer skinwalkers now than ever, there are other other evil beings who hold the same values, or lack thereof. But just like with the Navajo, the solution is not to attack these people directly. Instead, we need to make medicine that's more powerful than their poison, spread love instead of hatred and fear, even if that's what we feel on the inside. Because if we give in to those emotions, we become just like them. And at that moment, the lesson is lost. So yeah, a little bit deeper than the Native American werewolf portrayal that Hollywood is so fond of, but the good news is, now you can call out that BS when you see it. Same goes for those corny skinwalker sighting videos where hosts are calling white guys high on bath salt skinwalkers because they haven't done so much as read a Wikipedia article's worth of research. But hey, it makes good content for kids staying up past their bedtime, right? So tell me, got any thoughts on skinwalkers you'd like to share? Did you know anything about them before this episode? And if so, where did you hear about them? Let me know by hitting us up on social media. The links to our TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or X, whatever it's called now, are in the description. I hope to see you again next week because we are diving into some African mythology, 
Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first. Thank you.